DJ PK and David Locke, jazz radio broadcaster, joining us. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. PK's got How a little. Are you? PK's got a little time off, so you're gonna have to deal with me. I admire him for his use of vacations. Spotting it wisely. He's, he's high on the efficiency scale. Exactly, exactly. Spotting it wisely. Very efficient. All right, David, let's start off with business before we get to the hoops. The Adelaide 36ers are coming in, and I, I get, you know, you want to build the game across, you know, around the world and all that. And so this is probably a deal back in Australia, and there's two Australian players, so it's great. I get that. It's not terribly competitive. When they played these foreign teams in the past, they seem to win by 30 or 40 while playing the entire roster. So there isn't that much to get out of this. I'm a little surprised the NBA doesn't send more teams overseas for the preseason. I'm a little surprised the NBA doesn't send everybody overseas. You know, a week and a half, two weeks before the regular season opener. They have time to adjust when they come back. Is there any, uh, any thought to doing that? Because we are seeing games played in multiple countries now. That is my has always been my theory. I would actually do, if I was to take it even further, I might do preseason at home and then send... Uh, it gets a lot easier when we if we would just add Seattle and Vancouver and move on with it, it would be a lot easier. We have 32 teams, and these things would be easier. Um, I would then take uh, eight locations, maybe the same eight locations every year, frankly. Um, so you're talking Beijing, Tokyo, Barcelona, Paris, um, you know, whatever eight major cities that have uh, good enough arenas. London. And have the Tokyo Cup and have the Beijing Cup and have the Paris Cup and open the year with um, two games in a tournament, four-team tournament, at those locations that actually count for the regular season. And that's how I would open the season. Uh, We always struggle. We push the season up forward. We're in the middle of the NFL and college basketball, or NFL, excuse me, NFL and um, Major League Baseball playoffs, if if anyone still watches that. And... We're, you know, we're in a, we're, we're not, I don't think, we don't resonate. So let's go overseas, resonate worldwide, um, start the season, then come back and probably take a 10-day window before we actually then start the, the season again with the home game schedules, let everyone get there over their jet lag and kind of almost have another home training camp and go. And that would be my answer to this, that maybe maybe we play some little games at home and things like that first just to get ready or almost like the way the NFL does with inter-squad scrimmages and then go overseas, play two games, but have the – maybe it's by division, you know, and the divisions rotate. And so Oklahoma City, Portland, and Minnesota and Utah all go um, to – Paris one year and they go to Tokyo the next and they go to Barcelona the year after that and they go to Dubai the year after that or they go to you know somewhere in India the year after that. So you mentioned inter-squad scrimmages. The Jazz have one. Did you get to watch it? And if so, did you figure anything out? Because there's some new faces and there's stuff to figure out. When did they do that? I heard they did it earlier this week. Is that not true? Well, I guess. I mean, they play five on five a lot and Okay, that's good enough. What'd you learn? Did so, they bring it? Did um, they bring in refs? Yeah, I mean they always like they always mm. have refs um, around. That's just kind of a common thing. Um, they had two guys that are G League college guys. I actually got to talk to them for a while, and there was a woman here as well. Um, so they, yeah, they'll bring in refs. Um, 
that's that's not uncommon. I think everyone does that. It's good for the refs too, frankly. Um, so it's you know they're playing, but it's not always. Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes might learn more out of how they're doing a drill or doing something of that nature or doing some different things than always the five on five. I don't think I learned. Like I don't think I learned a great deal. Um, Donovan, you know, the other, yesterday was really funny that Boyan can really shoot it. Like, okay, like we knew this. He's, I mean, he's Hornacek asking the shooting really. So you go look at his shooting compared to Jeff when Jeff came to us. I, I think there's a chance he could have a similar impact on this team. He's not, and he's a decent ball handler. And that's the one that jumps out to me, David, more than anything else about this team. We've talked about the shooting so much and how much better the shooting is. It's really actually how much more playmaking there is, right? So the Jazz were the only team in the NBA that started two players that couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, and couldn't really pass. Like, Derek got better at it, and Rudy's trying, but really couldn't. And then the guys they had coming off the bench at that position who have all sorts of strengths, but shooting, dribbling, and passing were not strengths of Tabo Cephalosha and Jay Crowder. If the ball went on the deck for more than two dribbles, with either of them, the third one was eight was a unlashed, but you know, was was getting into an adventure zone, right? Like, um, and so now you have your guys who are going to play the four are Jeff Green, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, and Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal is probably the least good dribbler and passer of that group, and he's pretty good. So that to me is really um, what's the biggest change on this team. Any worries that the team is uh, smaller? They, that was a big, long, tough team in the past. And to get the skill, they had to give up a little of the size. How much does that bother you, if it does bother you? I think, I think that's real. I mean, there's still, like, so we're putting the defense on Rudy's shoulder, and Ed, and Ed Davis is probably as good and tough a backup center as there is in the NBA. And so, you know, <clears throat> can, the, can the group defend? Now, statistically, the, over the large sample size of multiple years, the Jazz have been better defensively when Rudy is on the floor with a small than he is with favors. And it is, I haven't thought about this recently until somebody tipped this off to me. And that is, you know, as much as we've always talked about the favors go bare defensive numbers and how great they are, they're a little misleading because they're always in the first six minutes of the first and third quarter when a team's never in the penalty and the most efficient possession is free throws. And if you actually look at the Gobert favors team defensively, the number one thing that jumps out is how, how low the foul rate is. And the foul rate's so low because they only played the first five, six minutes of quarters and, and they were huge. And so they didn't, so it's both skill Right, they deserve like that matters that they were both so big they could just hold verticality. You didn't get to the rim and you didn't draw fouls, but they also were never in the, you know, they were never in uh, bonus, and so therefore it it wasn't something that you that they had to worry about. So there's a little bit where that number. I've always been talking about the number of how good the Jazz defense was without Gobert, or excuse me, without favors on the floor with Gobert, and worried that my number was inaccurate because of the fact that it what didn't include minutes against starters. And someone pointed out to me that maybe those numbers are actually, the other numbers are inaccurate because they are never playing teams that are in the bonus. I thought that was pretty interesting. David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, you know, there's a lot of energy and a lot of time, and a lot of money actually, put into player development. Are any of the guys who are out of sight, out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, 
kind of 11 through 15 on the roster, going to play their way into much bigger roles and uh, surprise fans? Well, let's hope not, because if someone puts themselves into a much bigger role than either somebody was terrible or got hurt, hurt, right? Like at the, at this point in time, um, you know, they're, they're, if some if one of these guys, none of those guys are like projected to be stars. So if they're if they're moving into a much bigger role, um, that would be that would be a problem. I do think that Mia One is going to work his way into the rotation. He's not having like a brilliant camp or anything, but he's just a lot more athletic than I think people realize. Donovan pointed that out yesterday in the media session. Um, I, I think that he is um, versatile so that he could, if, you know, Dante's not ready to go and Moody tweaks an ankle, you could probably play One while at the two or even with some ball handling skills while sliding Donovan or Joe over to the one. You could play if, somebody, you know, turns an ankle and we need backup two minutes, I think One could play that. So there's multiple ways for him to get on the floor. And I think he's athletic enough that he'll be able to hold his own. And I think he's bright enough that he'll be able to adjust his game to what's needed, which is always a big ask for a rookie who's come with a high usage rate. I don't think he'll struggle with that. So I think uh, to his credit, I think uh, he will probably be the one that works his way into some minutes and then just the way injuries work consistently kind of is out there this year. David Locke, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Jazz. Uh, Pika and I were uh, looking at some of the stuff Vegas is putting out about the NBA, and under the theory that there's a lot of money at stake, uh, they really try to drill down and get it right. Uh, but they can be a little off because they are reflecting what fans think, trying to split the money on each side of a bet. So there's a little wiggle room there. But we saw that they give the Jazz a 10% chance of winning the NBA title. That was the fourth best chance of anybody in the league. And the best at 25% was the Clippers. And 25% didn't feel like a big number when you think how heavily favored the Heat were and the Warriors were and even going back to Kobe's Lakers. Do you feel like 10% is about right? How hopeful should fans be? And is that the right ballpark? I mean, I just think it's a it's a mosh pit really. Cause I think just, we could be as good as I think we're going to be and be fifth and we could be as good as I think we're going to be and be first in the West. Like, I think there's a, there's a really good chance that we end up first in the West. And I think there's a really good chance we end up fifth in the West. And I'm not even sure that we determine it. So what I mean by that is if the Clippers, you know, stay healthy and get a lot of game, get more games out of Paul George than it seems right now, or in the Kawhi doesn't load, they, they could be, you know, they could be better than us. And Houston, could easily be better than us, and Denver's loaded with talent. And I thought they, you know, they have a bunch of statistical things that say they got a little lucky last year, but they also could get better. They're the youngest team of this group who's been together and has the togetherness. I don't think that's as much of a positive as everybody else does, but we'll see. Um, in fact, I think it's a negative, but that's you know, time will tell. Um, the Lakers could be great, and so if those four teams are all really good, we could be really good and be fifth in the Western Conference. Um, we also could be, like, number two in the Western Conference and then get the Warriors in the first round with a healthy Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. and be, you know, who knows? So um, I think it's just such a wide-ranging aspect of things. I, do, I, I would say this. My numbers projections offensively, which have generally been pretty good, 
um, and have been able to, to identify some things. Havas is the third best offensive team in the league behind Milwaukee and the Clippers. Um, I just tweeted out my top 20 at Locked on Sports on Twitter if anybody wants to see it. So that if, to your question earlier, if we can answer that positively, that despite our lack of size and our lack of rebounding, we're still elite defensively because of the big guy, uh, then we could be really great. Um, then we could be top, you know, Milwaukee will be top five in both categories and be the number one seed in the East. And we would probably be the other team that has a chance to be top five in both categories. Hmm. Is there uh, anybody in the West? We expect some of the lottery teams to get a lot better. Obviously, the Lakers are a lottery team. They're going to get a lot better. But is somebody like Dallas going to blow up? I mean, Porzingis is there. But is it their first year together and they're still young, so they're still a ways away? Could Sacramento be much better? What do you think? So I have the Pelicans rating out really, really well. Um, I have the Pelicans rated out as about the 11th best offensive team in the NBA, which is much higher than most people. Um, and then I have them defensively being great. <clears throat> with Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Derek Favors, um, they're lacking some wing depth with the injury to Darius Miller. But I think you know they're going to have to be small. They'll have to play Jason Hart probably with Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday for minutes. Um, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Um, and they, so I have them very high. I have Phoenix as good offensively, above average offensively this year. So I have them probably as about the 10th team in the West instead of 15th, like most people do. Um, uh, just in the East, I have Brooklyn way better than most people. That's kind of a big pick I have is that Brooklyn, the move from an inefficient D'Angelo Russell to an efficient Kyrie Irving is being forgotten because all anybody can talk about. Um, is the fact that they don't have Kevin Durant this year. I actually think they'll be about the third or fourth best team in the Eastern Conference and then without Durant. Um, what else I got for you? What else do you want to know? Is that good? Is that what you were looking for? That's pretty good. I, I like that. And we're, I, we're about I at it. I have the King. I have the King still average. I have Dallas average offensively. But that really is based on – I don't have Luka making a big jump this year just because I don't think – really good rookies make a jump from year one to year two. Like Donovan didn't make a big jump last year, and nor did Jason Tatum, and none of those guys did because they don't. That doesn't happen. It happens year two to year three. Um, so Trey Young and Luka Doncic I have as very similar players as they were a year ago. So you think Mitchell's going to make a big jump? Uh, if there's going to be a jump in his career, it's happening. going to happen now. Camp feels like he's primed for it, so we'll see. Okay, that's interesting. All right, last thing I want to know. The golf clubs were gone. And then oh. suddenly they were back. I begged for details on Twitter. I got a lot of retweets and likes of that. That really surprised me. I mean, they just kind of threw it out there. So what the heck happened? Did a, someone just carry him away by a, mistake? So kind of a wild story, and I there's like a mystery element too. Still, it doesn't make sense. So just giving you the really quick version, which I'm not usually good at. Uh, be, because our, when the this flight got scanned and when luckily my teenage daughter sent a text, we could take a five-minute window of which the, which the clubs disappeared. The police were incredibly helpful, um, and surveillance video showed somebody taking them off the um, rack and walking away with them, which wouldn't be that big a deal if there was another set of clubs out there that looked exactly like those, and you just said, oh, this guy grabbed the wrong thing. But for whatever reason, there was no other clubs. So, you know, at the end of the whole thing, we sat there with nothing on that rack and there was nothing there and we were there for about an hour and a half afterwards dealing with stuff and it never came and so it got obviously really nerve-wracking i finally um just because of her golf schedule it wasn't one of those things where we could wait a week or two or three to find out if somebody called us and had the club he's got tournaments coming up and didn't have anything to play with so i was about to spend an awful large amount of money 
at night to buy her a brand new set of clubs. And uh, so I actually just went back down to Delta and kind of forced my way into the back of the baggage claim. And there was a guy down there named Luis Garcia, who was just incredible. Luis Garcia, uh, you're fabulous. Find me. I'll get you a game. Um, he was the best. And he, we went back into the back of baggage claim and found actually a bag that was exactly like my daughter's, researched it, found the guy, and he had accidentally picked up my daughter's clubs, but he had not looked at them and not seen the, you know, the little Hawaiian turtle or all the stickers on it that had phone numbers on it to call us and tell us that, that it was the wrong one. So, um, luckily we got them found. And, um, the only part of the story that's really funny is that, um, he got the call. He had, he's a locked on sports follower on Twitter. So he had been following the story and thought to himself, boy, what an A beep for someone <laughs> taking this kid's club. And then when he got the call from Delta, he just said his heart just sunk and suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I am that. <laughs> so that was the pretty funny part. Nice guy, BYU fan um, out in Utah County. And we met and transferred, had a nice conversation. And um, so it was all, it, was, it, it turned out fine because we got the clubs. It was pretty nerve wracking and she was pretty broken. And um, it's interesting, you know, the clubs were replaceable. All the stuff that was inside the bag was not. And that was probably. Um, the one that had me broken is she's very diligent about taking notes from about, so she has a little folder that has pairs of notes from lessons that she's taken that was in the bag and that was going to be gone and that institutional knowledge that she's really worked very hard to be diligent about her game would have been really sad to lose, but she's got it back, so we're all good. All right, well, if that's the worst thing going on too, there's also celebrate that. PK and I were talking about that. And I will also tell you this, you need to tell your daughter this, that I once stole a rental car, so that's Kind of an embarrassing story. It was the day of the Utes national championship game with Kentucky, and I had to do talking sports on Saturday and Sunday and then fly in, and I'm tired and I disoriented. I get a rental car because this is 1998. We don't have Uber, mm-hmm. you know that, right? I get the rental car. I drive to the hotel, and I just got to check in and drop stuff in my room and then go over to the arena and, and do some TV stuff. And Dave Fox and Jeremy Castro are already down there. They've been down there all weekend because of the semifinals on Saturday. So I, I go to the guy, hey, can you not valet this thing? Can we just leave it? And he said, yeah, leave it over there against the wall. And, and, but he said, leave the keys in it in case you have to move it because they're not supposed to do this. So I run in. I check in. I go up to my room, you know, ride the elevator up, throw my stuff in a room, run back down, change into the TV gear up there, right? Run back down, get in the car. And then the Alamo Dome is basically on the other side of the freeway from the two Marriott's there on the Riverwalk. So it's like three minutes, and I'm there. I pull into the parking lot, and I had, I had some stuff I had to get out of the car, the TV gear I had to take for them. And so I find the guys, and Jeremy's like, hey, I'll help you carry it. So we go back to the rental car. As we walk up, he goes, dude, what do you got a baby seat in the back for? I'm like, what? Oh, my God. I got the wrong car. Oh no! He just looks at me, shakes his head, and starts laughing. I pop in the car. I pop in the car. It's two and a half minutes back to the hotel, right? I pull in. Sure enough, same make, same model. Some probably did the same same color, and they did the same thing with the keys in it. And there's when I drive up, there's nobody around. The valet guy is in there. He's off doing whatever, getting a car, or whatever. I pull in right next to my car, which is still there. Get out, leave the keys in it. 
get in my car, drive back with the TV gear that had been at the hotel, not there. And as far as I know, nobody ever knew. It was probably caught on a security camera, but nobody ever talked to me. So my guess is they were up in their room for 15 minutes, and I somehow hit that window just right, and it wasn't a thing. But if you see Jeremy Castor, you ask him, did you once look at a car in San Antonio, a DJ, and go, dude, what do you got a baby seat for? (laughs) That's so great. Can I share? I know we're way late. Can I share one that's not as good as that, but it's pretty funny? Go. So, uh, came really close friends with some people on a vacation. They live in Seattle. We lived here. They've, they they turned out turned out to be like our closest friends. In fact, my wife was at the Seahawks game with them and their kids last night. And so he drives down for Portland and to see me. And we're going to go have a lunch together um, when the Jazz are playing Portland. So I go. It happens to be Nike Hoop Summit. So I'm at the Rose Garden and I'm in, and he says, Hey, I'm just parked outside. Well, this is this crazy successful businessman is totally humble and he says to me like i'm in a gray car well it turns out he's like in a porsche cheyenne and he just doesn't want to say that to me so he's really obtuse about what the car is so he tells me where he's parked so i'm like running around and pretty excited to see him and walking around the outside and so i see this like land cruiser i'm like all right that makes sense like not you know one of those Ford, whatever those toyota whatever they are and so I run up to the passenger seat and I open the door really lock esque aggressively with all sorts of energy and dive into the front seat of the car and this woman screams. <laughs> oh man, David! And I scream and I jump out of the car and run down the street. And that poor woman. Oh probably my God. she's calling. Right. She's calling the cops right now. This freak <laughs> hopped into my car. I feared for my life. I can hear that right now. Uh, right. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, but I actually never said, like, sorry or anything like that. I just, like, ran away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, David. Thanks for a few minutes. Hey, we appreciate it. All, All right, right D- DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, Cougs on a bye week. We will talk with him. The Red and the Blue continues on a football Friday on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, brought to you in part by Homie. Buying or selling a home, Homie will give you up to 5000 back to help you with closing costs and fees. Remember, it's simple to get started with Homie. See more at Homie.com. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. The head coach of the Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder, you're certainly capturing a lot of national attention. I know you probably don't spend a lot of time on that stuff, but when you become a little bit of the hunted and not the hunter, do you worry about a mindset of a team coming into a season? Well, to be honest with you, we were picked third in the West last year. I don't think we're picked third in the West this year, so I don't know if we're being hunted or we're hunting. or I hope we get hunted a little bit because that gives you urgency, and I hope we do some hunting too because <laughs> I think with that, whatever the external perceptions are, you know, however we process that, it's important for our focus to be on maximizing who we are. And that doesn't mean you don't have goals. You know, ideally we have high goals and, you know, enthusiasm for those, but the way to get there is to kind of dig in. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Football Friday feels like a little edge is off it because the Utes aren't playing. Cougars aren't playing. If you're following the Pac-12, not only are the Utes not playing, but Arizona State and USC also have bye weeks. Arizona, who just beat UCLA in the conference opener, is playing Colorado, so somebody's getting to 2-0. Maybe we got a Cinderella story brewing. I don't know what else you're going to tell yourself. You can't watch Utah State at LSU, SEC Network, 10 a.m. Aggies, 26.5-point underdogs. 
And I think uh, if Gary Anderson has anything to say about it, flying cross-country in the middle of the conference season, that will be minimized going forward. Not particularly thrilled with the way this falls. Really, they need the number one thing, Aggies. You got a chance here. You look like you're a contender in the conference again, even though you had to replace nine guys on offense. But you're off to a 2-0 start. But you got to come out of this game healthy. You can't have guys go to LSU and get hurt. Number two in the country in passing yards, over 400 yards a game and about 430 yards a game. And they're number one in scoring. LSU's offense is off the charts. 430 yards passing. They're averaging just a shade under about 550 yards a, a game and 57 points. That offense is awesome. So Utah State will have their hands full going to LSU Saturday morning, 10 a.m., SEC Network. BYU's got a bye week. But it is time to talk with the former Cougar, Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker. Brian, good morning. Good morning, my man. How you doing? Good. I don't know if you know this. You're joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. So, it's nice. a bye week. And, you know, every coach says the bye week comes at the perfect time. But when you got to change quarterbacks and go with an inexperienced backup, did the bye week really come at the perfect time? <laughs> Yes, sir. There's no getting better than that timing. What can they do to improve a quarterback? Is it just a matter of reps? Do they need the time to go through the film and figure out what he really excelled in uh, in spring ball, his favorite plays, his favorite throws, that kind of stuff? Or does he just all know those off the top of his head anyway? Here, I'll give you five I want. I I think it's more reps in practice. Um, Having an extra week just will get, get Jaron more comfortable. And, um, you know, throughout this, this season, he's probably hasn't taken any practice reps with the, with the regular offense, maybe a few here and there. But usually the starting quarterback gets all the practice reps. And um, I'm not sure if they've had Jaron doing scout team or just, just watch. He's probably just been watching, probably usually have the, the third-string quarterback doing scout team. So he probably hasn't had very many reps in practice. So the, an extra week. Um, especially, I mean, it's helpful in every position, but there's no comparison for quarterback. You just you need those reps. You need live bullets. You need to see the reads, see the coverages, go through your progression. Um, so, yeah, this extra week is just going to be invaluable for him. Football 101, football for dummies. If your starting quarterback is out, you need to lean on the run game, but what do you do when your starting running back's out with a knee injury too? This <laughs> is you got to go to the, the well of that of that depth, you know, that, that we've talked about. Um, and, and, and the quarterback, honestly, um, I'm super high on, on Jaron. Um, I've known, known him since he was a little kid. His dad played with my brother, Ed. Um, I've known his dad since I was a kid. And uh, I've known Jaron his whole life. And I watched him play football and, and basketball when he was in high school and just was just floored with, with how how legit he was, just came away every time I watched him play both sports. Um, and he obviously plays baseball too. I, I never went to him in his baseball games in high school, but um, I uh, just was floored with just how good of an athlete he was, how good of a leader, how composed he was under pressure. And uh, I think he's just going to come in, and I think he'll do really, really well. Um, you know, it's funny. I I saw Zach Wilson play in high school as well. His, his high school is, you know, not even five minutes from my house. So I saw him play, and very similar um, perception that I had of the two of them in high school, just 
well beyond their years for high school quarterbacks. Does that mean that you know Jaron's going to come in and do the things that, that Zach did? I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that, but he has he has that potential. Um, he, he can run. He can he can he's got an arm and and he's composed. So I'm 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 anxious and I have high hopes for him. Brian Keel joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, football for dummies 101 to follow up. When you're going to have problems on offense, if you have a backup quarterback and a backup running back, you're leaning on the defense. You are a former defensive guy. Do you watch BYU against the run, 118th in the country, over 200 yards a game? Do you watch BYU against the run and just shudder? Yeah, it's funny you said that word. I was, I was literally just about to say it gives me the shivers. Um, I literally was thinking that because <clears throat> one of the things that, that you pride yourself on as a defender is not getting pushed around. And, um, you know, if somebody tricks you, if somebody, you know, beats you with speed or beats you over the top, you don't like that, but it's a different feeling than when somebody hits you in the mouth. And that's what, that's what running the ball is. When somebody just, just crams it down your throat, <clears throat> they, they're, they're, you know, metaphorically, they're hitting you in the mouth. And very few defensive football players have any level of tolerance for that. And so as an alum, and, and we prided ourselves on stopping the run, um, you know, we had, I played on some, some really good defenses. We didn't have a super talented, fast secondary. And so we kept teams in front of us. Very rarely, you know, the only team that, that got us over the top was, was Tulsa. In 07, they had the nation's leading leading offense. But everybody else, we kept them in front of us. They didn't get us over the top, and they did not run on us. Nobody ran on us. Um, watching, watching our poorest run defense, it's hard. It's tough. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. It just, it's hard to watch. Is it likely to get any better? Is it? Uh, I guess, I guess, for people who haven't watched uh, hours and hours of film. Is it just a case of they're getting out-athleted and that's not going to change? Or there's fundamental mistakes being made, assignments being blown, whatever, and that can change and it can get better? Okay, so there's a handful of factors. Um, our linebackers are all athletic, undersized linebackers, with the exception of, of Wilger. Um, Wilger, Wilgar, I don't know how you pronounce that, number 49. Um, all the other linebackers, they're all undersized, and they're athletic and they make plays, but it's tough to stop the run with undersized linebackers. So that, that has been a factor. Um, the, the, probably the biggest factor is the fact that we usually run a three down front and it's just, just schematically just gap wise. It's hard to stop the run when you only have three down and uh, it's just, it, it makes it really easy blocking assignment for the offensive linemen and they can chip and get up to the second level really effectively um, against a three-man, a three-down front, and so that that is a factor. Miss tackling is a factor, and then the the last one. So this is the fourth one is is um, our edge. Like we we we're we are very poor at at contain at keep keeping the edge, and um, I don't know if that is a fact of poor technique or if they don't. They don't put a high emphasis on it, or our guys just aren't good at it. I don't know why it's happening. All I know is I, I see it happen routinely, and that's not just this year. That's that's going back, you know, last year and the year before. I've I've been frustrated with that about our edge. So all of those factors 
weigh in on why we are not good against the run. And so in terms of fixing it, you know, you need to address multiple of those factors. Otherwise, it's not going to change. As far as the three-down linemen, the whole rush three, drop eight, that definitely worked to contain USC and, and led to that upset. If you're going to stay in that because you want to drop a lot because of the way you feel like you have to defend the pass, can you at least walk two linebackers up to the line of scrimmage, even if they're eventually going to drop back into coverage so that it's, it looks like a five-man front or no? Yes, yes, 100%, yes. Um, and I, I don't know why we don't do that more. I mean, you can do both, and um, what you just said is easily done, and it disguises it so, a little bit so the offense doesn't just immediately know what the coverage is. Um, <clears throat> I, I saw some of Utah's game against Washington State, and they did. They mixed in some drop eight, three-man rush, and, um, and they were effective at it. Partly what they did with their, their three down is they had actual defensive ends on the edges, and we, we have more of defensive tackle types that we're using on our edges and our three-man, and so they're just not as effective as pass rushers. Um, so Utah had actual defensive ends, and then they actually they, they pulled them out wider too. So, so uh, they, I mean, this, and this wasn't, this wasn't against the run. This was just for a pass against the pass and getting a pass rush. Um, because they knew Washington State wasn't going to try to run on them. But, um, but that helps get a pass rush. And so those are things that we could do to help with our pass rush. In terms of stopping the run, then, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I think it would help if we, if we walked our guys up. And, and, and you get them involved in the front in the event that it's a run. And then, you know, they just have to bail out of there quick pass. And it, it's, um, that's, how, that's how we did it. You know, when I, when I was at BYU, we ran drop eight. We didn't run it very much, but we had it in our package, and that's how we ran it. Um, any team I played at in the in the NFL um, that was a three-four, that's how we ran drop eight, and um, yeah, it's effective. And I, I, I'm sure there's some reason why they don't do it. I don't know. I'm not in their meetings. I'm not privy to all of their game planning, but um, yeah, that would help. Got a question here from a, a listener on Facebook. Dustin says, Brian, given the changing landscape of players being compensated for their hard work in college football, which two current BYU players would be able to profit from their likenesses at which two Utah County businesses? Look at you playing matchmaker. It's like you're an agent now. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a tough question to actually, like, specifically pick out players and businesses. Um, but, I mean, you could pretty much go across the the country and, like, the quarterback is just going to be the prime candidate. It's it's no different in the NFL. Um, you know, most most guys in the NFL don't have endorsement deals. The vast majority of guys don't have endorsement deals, especially on defense. Very few defenders have endorsement deals. Um, it's usually, you know, the quarterbacks have endorsement deals, star receivers, star running backs, you know, big personalities. Um, obviously there's exceptions, but I'm just talking about generalities. And, uh, you know, quarterbacks paved the way. And uh, so college would be no different. You know, the quarterback's going to be the guy. Um, he's going to be the, the, the marquee guy on most teams. You know, some teams it's going to be different. But, yeah, so, I mean, the quarterback's going to lead the way. Um, you know, in, in terms of our team, you know, the best player on our team is probably Tonga. Um, but he plays a very unglamorous, non-sexy, you know, 
not not a high profile position. So you know, it'll be interesting to see if th- if this does all unfold. I mean, I'm sure it won't kick in for a while, but I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, in terms of businesses, I mean, there's a, there's all sorts of businesses, especially in Utah County. They'll probably line up to to to, to be behind somebody. You know, I think if I run a big and tall clothing store, I'm calling some defensive linemen and some offensive linemen real quick. <laughs> That's a good idea. That would be effective. <laughs> Maybe some food places too. You know, you got the uh, the all you can eat place. Bring them down. We feed the D line. Bring them on down. Yeah, shoot a video with him in, in front of a platter. You know, exactly. Big spread. And, the, and yeah. the tagline: "Big food for big boys." We're, we're <laughs> here till midnight. Marketing, my man. Yeah. You're in the wrong business, man. You need to be a marketer. <laughs> Yock's in there laughing right now. <laughs> if PK were here, he'd be blown up. You you have no idea. <laughs> I exhaust people. I stopped. <laughs> but there was a time when I exhausted people. I might still exhaust PK because he hears stuff during breaks, but I don't go knocking you know, on You off. could get some, some exhaustive defensive and offensive linemen at the Schizzler all-you-can-eat buffet right there. Yep. All right, Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Enjoy the bye, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yep, sounds good, man. Have a good weekend. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Roxy Bernstein, Pac-12 Network's broadcaster. We'll talk with him about the conference race, the Utes. PK is going to join us at 9.30. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Omi. Buying or selling a home, Homie will give you up to $5,000 back to help you with closing costs and fees. Remember, it's simple to get started with Homie. See more at Homie.com. All right, we've done the red and the blue thing. Kyle Gunther and Brian Keel join me. David Locke was here. If you're joining us a little late and you're about to go into work and you want to get caught up, here are some headlines. Kyle Gunther was with me. Sit Zach Moss this week. Even if he's feeling pretty good and he could go, it's a shoulder. He's going to get hit again. How does he fall? Does someone fall on him? They need him to win the biggest games. Play him. Play him. You want to play him? I get it. I wouldn't. To play or to sit? I'd sit. I think they're going to beat Oregon State without him. I think their other running backs are good enough. Devontae Henry Cole's done well. They're going to win this game. Oregon State... Counts on the run. That's the one thing they've done pretty well, and the Utes are very stout against the run. I don't think they're going to need a big game from their offense. I think they might be able to get it, but I don't think they're going to need it. I would sit Zach Moss and get him a little healthier because when they hit that stretch and they've still got to play Arizona State who's got a good defense, they've got to play Cal who's got a good defense, they've got Washington, and that looks like the toughest game left on their schedule. They need Zach Moss for those games. Kyle was with me on that. Kyle did have one thing. Uh, Kyle Gunther was talking about Kyle Whittingham. Whittingham said, um, Bam Olsini, the new, uh, finally, uh, 
guy checking into the offensive line and supposed to be all that at tackle and had offers from multiple you know big time schools. And he said the O line needs help. And Kyle has said publicly they're going to play him four games this year because he's got uh, two years to play one. Playing four games this year, redshirt and play all next year. Kyle Gunther said the O line's struggling. Go all in on this year. You're not likely to win the Pac-12 next year. You're going to need a new quarterback. You're going to lose a lot of guys to the NFL. Play, play Bamalasini now. That's seven games. Eight if, a con- if you're in the conference title game, and that would make a bowl game a ninth game. Go all in on those eight to nine games because this is your shot. Swing for the fence. Don't save him for next year. That, that was some intriguing thought and some solid logic. Kyle didn't go into all of his logic. We can kind of assume what he's doing. You know, get the maximum number of games out of BAM. Four games this year and then 12 next year, bowl game, you know, on and on. How do you play a guy 17 games instead of eight? He's a talent. But Kyle Gunther's point was you got to wait it toward this year because this is clearly your best shot at winning a conference title and going to the Rose Bowl. And I suppose with one, one loss, there's still a shot at the playoff if you run the table, depending on how other stuff happens. But certainly the conference title and the Rose Bowl are there. Brian Keel came on and really disappointed in the run defense. And I know the injuries of quarterback and running back were a big deal, but, uh, you know, Brian is a defensive guy, watches them play the run, and is just it, undersized linebackers and three down linemen, and it's just not going well. They're giving up too many yards on the ground. David Locke came on, and when we talked with him, if you're looking for a breakout player for the Jazz, he thinks with the number of veterans they have and the way they've structured the roster, there really isn't room for that. Uh, so don't count on that, that they pretty much are who we think they are. And he said some of his numbers, he kind of is leaning, anything's possible, first through fifth, but he's leaning towards a second, maybe a third. Although, as he pointed out, even if things go well and they're second to the Clippers, that then you are looking at the possibility of playing the Warriors who are the seventh seed. So good luck with that. Coming up, we're going to talk uh, Pac-12 basketball or Pac-12 football with uh, Pac-12 basketball, Pac-12 football with Rocky Bernstein. I, I still had the this uh, other jazz on the brain there. Roxy Bernstein, Pac-12 Networks broadcaster. There is an intriguing game in the uh, in the Pac-12 this this week, and we'll talk with him about that. It's going to impact the Pac-12 South. I should add one other thing. Locke said, if there is one guy to watch for, he said uh, Mia Oni, who's the uh, second round draft pick out of Yale. Wait, was he second round? Yeah. Yeah, second, second round, round draft pick out of Yale. Didn't have a first round pick this year. Right, end of the second round. And they had three guys all at once. Uh, Mieoni said is showing well and has the body and has the athleticism and could grow into a role. He'd be the one guy to watch for. Uh, but it is veteran laden and there won't be a lot of time. But it's the NBA, there'll probably be some injury somewhere and he might be able to slide in. There's a lot of versatile guys in front of him who can move around. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Roxy Bernstein, stay with us.